some of our family members who are here. Thank you very much. As your pastor, Autar, mentioned, we are from the North Miami Beach Church of the Nazarene, and we have been coming here for many years. So we are no strangers here. We have lots of friends here, and it's a delight for us to worship the Lord with you wonderful people. We've already been tremendously blessed, haven't we? So give the team a big hand. They've done a super job already. And I know you'll be praying for me, wouldn't you? Because if you don't, well, then I'm not going to be a, as useful as the Lord would want me to be to you. Amen? So I'm counting on you to pray for me. We were hoping to have a PowerPoint, but um, it's, they said it's not bringing it up because you have a different computer system. And so that was going to help me, of course, because I'm not going to really try to preach over your head, but it may seem so now. <laughs> but I hope you can interact with me. The intention here is that as I share with you today, you'll be able to you know, relate to what I'm saying and that you'll be able to receive what God wants to communicate to you in my heart. Amen? And you can probably think of what I'm going to say, but before I announce the theme, let me share a story with you. Hopefully this story will create an interest in your heart and maybe show you a need that you probably have, better or greater than any other need. It's a story about Dr. Albert Einstein. In 2000, some of you probably remember, he was voted by Time magazine as the man of the century. You know, and this story tells us that Dr. Einstein was traveling from Princeton University. He was on a train. And in that car while he was traveling, the conductor came by to pick up the ticket from passengers to check. And when the conductor came to him, he couldn't find his ticket. He looked in his coat pocket, he couldn't find it. He looked in his trousers pocket, he couldn't find it. He looked around behind his seat, he couldn't find it. And he apologized, he couldn't find it. The conductor told him, don't worry, Dr. Einstein, we know who you are, we know that you bought a ticket. Well, that didn't satisfy him. The conductor continued, you know, his work. And before he went over to the next car or the next carriage, he looked around and saw Dr. Einstein on his knees, on his hands and knees, looking for his ticket. And he was looking all around, and quickly the conductor came by, and he said, Dr. Einstein, what are you doing? I know who you are. I know you, who you are. You don't have to worry. And then the guy got up. He said, I know who I am. But the point is, I don't know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? I don't know. I don't mean really that we are all on a journey. I know where we are going. Maybe today. But ultimately, do you know where you're going? I pray God that you will think about that 
question, but it's related to this message that I have to share with you. And I'd like you, if you will, if you'd like to turn to two verses of Scripture, Proverbs, rather Hebrews chapter 14, or rather chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and most of you, I think, are familiar with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Would you please stand with me for a moment? Please stand. And then I will turn your attention to 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. Hebrews, the 12th chapter and the 14th verse. Here is what it says in the NIV. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Please note that last part of the text. Without holiness, can you say that with me? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. My, that is an incredible statement from God through the right of the Hebrews. And then another passage that you're familiar with, 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. 1 Peter 1, a few pages forward. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Amen? So the question we would like to think about today is, is this. Is holiness your goal? Shall we pray before you sit down? Father, what a joy to call you Father and for us to be your children who have experienced you through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And we want to thank you for the ministry of your word and thank you for the Holy Spirit who will speak to our hearts and bless your word that you may be glorified. Bring about the transformation of every life. May there be tremendous joy in heaven and great joy on earth as well. This we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So, going back to that story, I ask you the question, do you have a ticket? I mean, on this journey, a ticket that lands you beyond time into eternity. In Hebrews, the, 14th, the 12th chapter, the 14th verse reminded us, without holiness, can you tell me what the rest says? Without holiness, what does it say? No one will see the Lord. No one will see God. Now with that in mind, I want to suggest that everybody here has goals. We just came back 
from an Alaska cruise. There were 16 of us. It was a fabulous trip. <laughs> and one of the things we kept hearing every day, every time we go to have a meal, washi, 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 washi. Meaning that everybody had to get some sanitizer to wash their hands. And then that comment was made that they don't think that anybody else in the world or in North America is as clean as the people on that ship. <laughs> because you wash with sanitizer every time you prepare to eat a meal. Now that's something to think about. So how many of you have as a goal to be healthy? Raise a hand. You want to be healthy, that's your goal. I, I want to. Then another goal is, I want to be happy. How many of you have happiness as a goal? Great. But there, there are other terms that we can use. Some people have a goal, you know, of wanting possessions. How many of you have a goal to have possessions, as much possession as you can get? Anybody has that goal? I think for me, the more the merrier. Then some people have a goal, you know, position. They're like the highest position in the world. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like a raise and a new position? Because, you know, the benefits that come with a new position. Of course, there are responsibilities. And so we know that there are all kinds of goals. Or what, what about this one? Is anybody here interested in becoming famous? Or does anybody here... You want a lot of power. Power is another goal. And so all of those are worthy goals. They're not the best goals, I would suggest, but they are all good goals. But I would suggest that if these are the only goals we have and we can add to them all, we can add, you know, the question of fun. That's another thing we heard, you know, on the Explorer of the Seas, you know, every time there was some show, you know, we were told that, uh, are you having fun? We were asked, are you having fun? And we were told over and over, you're going to have all the fun you want. Does anybody here want fun? You know, in North America, that's an operative word, isn't it? Fun, fun, fun. And the more, the merrier as well. Now, I'd like to have a lot of fun as well. But if I put all of these together... How do they stack up against the text that we use from Proverbs 12, 14? Without holiness, without what? Say it with me. Without holiness, what is the second part of it? No one will see the Lord. So the text doesn't say all of these things, all of these goals that are worthy goals, that are human goals, that are goals that are relative to our life on earth. They're all wonderful. But when God looks at you and me, he is saying, we have got to let our sights go higher. We have got to have goals that are related to how he sees you and me. Wouldn't you like to see yourself the way God sees you? At least that's what the Bible is teaching. When Peter said, going back to Peter, told his listeners... He wrote to them and he told them, but just as God who is holy, so be holy. 
And he didn't stop there. In all you do. Be holy in all you do. So it has to be being and it has to be doing. So holiness is more than all of these. It's being and doing. Look at a combination. Now, with that in mind, we ask this question then, what is holiness? If God tells us without holiness, no one will see the Lord. What is holiness? You have heard a lot, and I suppose what I'm going to tell you, you already know this. But you know what? We need to be brought back to this fundamental teaching in the Word of God. Because God himself directs us that since God is holy, we are to be. And without holiness, no one, no one will see the Lord. So what is holiness? Let me suggest to you a couple of things. Based on 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, it has to do with God's moral character. God is essentially holy. It's the character of God, the moral character of God. But it also points out that if God is such, God is completely distinct from everyone in the world. God is a transcendent God, and being morally holy, he is way beyond anything that you and I have seen on earth in terms of what we may describe as holiness. He is the transcendent God. God is innately holy. So God is completely different from everyone else in the world. All of his creation, completely different. Because we are human beings. We are created in his image and likeness. You know, we are created creations of God. He is the creator. And all of us, I think, would understand and agree today that we are a sinful people. Are you a sinful person? For all have sinned. How many have sinned? All. Do we have anybody here? Please stand up. We'd like to meet you. Who, who is not a sinner? <laughs> I, I don't see anybody up there. <laughs> I think God means, all means everybody. Isn't that so? So if everyone is a sinner, and if God is commanding, be holy, it implies that we are not. Correct? And if we are not holy, what are we? We are sinful. Correct? The text doesn't tell us that we are, but it tells us that we are to be holy and we are to do holiness in all we do. We are to be holy. But holiness is a little bit more than that. Based on the word of God, you have heard this as well. Matthew 5.48 teaches in the context of the Beatitudes, Jesus said, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So we think of God as the only perfect being. Isn't he? Do you know of anyone who is perfect? Morally perfect? Then the Bible teaches more than that. That God is 
in essence as well pure. Again, from the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 8, where Jesus taught that the pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall... Would you say that again with me? He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So you notice then that this question of holiness relates to purity, inner purity, and outward purity. It has to do with perfection. It has to do with God's moral character. It relates to a standard. God himself is the standard. If he challenges us, be holy. We have to look at ourselves and see. We measure ourselves to see whether we are that. I remember the story I read this past week, you know, preparing this a few days ago as we were getting set, you know, for worship today about this little guy, you know, he was a young boy, about six or seven years old, and he wanted to show his mother that he had already, you know, grown to be an adult. So he took a ruler and he measured himself. And he said, Mom, do you know how tall I am? She said, I don't know. He said, six feet. Wow, six feet? How did you get that? And when she checked, he had a six-inch ruler. So he measured himself with a six-inch ruler. You can't get six feet with a six-inch ruler. <laughs> That's the wrong measuring stick. And you know what? We use measuring sticks or measuring rods, and we measure ourselves. We compare ourselves. You may be a good person, but is God talking about being good? No. The text doesn't say be good, for without goodness, no one will see the Lord. He says, be holy. God is a standard of holiness. And so we can go on to point out that from this text and other texts, God is saying to you and me, I love you so much. I, who am holy, invite you to be like me, to be holy. And in all you do, to be holy. Does that suggest that you're important to God? Aren't you important? Imagine the value then God has placed on you and me. That is infinite God. This perfect, loving, gracious God. This God who is in essence pure. He is saying, you can be just like me. He is transcendently pure. And that is what this text is saying. To you and me this morning, God is inviting you. He is commanding you. He is challenging you and me to go beyond the goals you and I have set. So what is holiness? If we ask the question, is holiness your goal? We'll have to say then, that holiness is much more than what we sometimes think about. Now let's see how this relates then to a next level of answer where we can compare what holiness is. So what I have in my notes here is religion the answer to holiness. Well, let's see how that stacks up. We have lots of world 
religions. And some of the major world religions are well known. Like, let's say we start with Buddhism. Buddhism, as you know, you know, is um, especially prevalent, you know, in Eastern countries, China, Japan, you know, Sri Lanka, other countries in Asia. You know, lots of people, they have hundreds of millions of Buddhists in the world. How does a, how does a, a Muslim, um, rather, how does a Buddhist become a person that is holy so that a Buddhist can reach this ultimate goal? Anybody here can check it out. All Buddhists, regardless of whichever group of Buddhists people belong to, you know, believe in the eightfold path to nirvana. And here, give you an idea. I wrote down a couple ideas here, you know, what they believe in. For example, the eightfold path, you have to have the right view, the right intention, the right speech, the right action, the right livelihood, the right effort, the right meditation, the right focus. If you put all of those together, you can agree with me, that is all external, isn't it? It's a human effort, and Buddha, Gautama Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, was the one, the founder of Buddhism. And he, from a rich background, you know, wanted to find what he called inner peace. And so he gave up his wealth, and he went out and tried to live like the poor people, the poorest of the poor. And that didn't satisfy him. And finally, he felt, based on whatever revelation he said he got, you know, he came up with this eightfold path to what you would call, what they call, the Buddhists call, nirvana. And so they really, a lot of the Buddhists don't believe in God. They don't believe in a God. And but the Buddha never claimed to be a God. He was just a man. And so they believe then that if you follow the eighth-fold path, you know, the eighth-fold path to nirvana, you'll finally end up, you know, being one with the universal spirit. And the teachings of Buddhism, some of them are related to Hinduism because Buddhism came, you know, as an offshoot of Hinduism. So let me just go to that because you can see the relationship, how they felt a person can see God, can meet God, can be one with God, can be what they call God. But the Buddhists don't believe in God. As I said, there's this universal spirit. So you can dismiss, you can dismiss Buddhism based from a biblical you know, perspective. Because the Bible teaches, God says, be holy because I am that's a personal God. Buddhism, the few Buddhists that believe in a God, they don't have a personal God. A personal God. When we look at the Bible, we believe in a God who has made himself known to you and me, the whole world, historically, through Jesus Christ. Isn't that what he has done? So God has come down to you and me. We can have a personal relationship with God, but not in Buddhism. So, to see how clearly this stands out, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism, since Buddhism comes from 
you know, Hinduism, you know, the Hindus believe in what is called karma. Karma simply means what you sow, you will reap. They believe in sowing and reaping. And if you sow more good than more bad, well, they believe in reincarnation. You will be born into a person, or if you didn't do a lot of good, you'll be born into something, something. You can decide whatever, <laughs> based on your lifestyle, right? Based on your lifestyle. The Hindus don't believe in a personal God. The Hindus, as you know, believe in multitudes of gods. There are millions of gods, over 300 deities in Hinduism. And you can put them all together, stack them all together. The Hindus don't have a personal relationship with God, like you and I have a personal relationship with the God of the Bible. You know, so the Hindus also believe not just in karma, they believe in reincarnation. And so you, you die if you, and born into a person if you live the good life. And so on. But you'll have to be born Again and again and again. Not born again like John 3, 3, you must be born again. Not in that sense, okay? That's a spiritual birth. The Hindus believe in rebirth, a cycle of rebirth of life and death, life and death. So there'll be hundreds and thousands it can be. Until this person's soul is finally refined and this person's spirit becomes one with a universal spirit called the Atma. So Hinduism and Buddhism, and they're, what, probably, I don't know, about a billion or nearly a billion Hindus in the world. So when you put Hindus and Buddhists together, look how many of them, and this is what they believe. There is no personal God. So how can you be holy? Again, they try by their own efforts to live good. And here are four things the Hindus will try to do in order to live what is called holy. They believe in dharma. You must be thinking right. They believe in karma, sowing and reaping. They believe in reincarnation. And finally, the ultimate goal is moksha, where you become one with the universal spirit. You're gone. You have no identity. You and I are different. Now, let's take Islam. You know, there are lots of Muslims in the world. And look at the competition to win people. The, what the Muslims are doing, what you and I are doing, and supposedly we are going to do more and more. That is, you and I have a challenge to share with people how much the Lord loves them. Isn't that a challenge you and I have? If you know the Lord, what else would you want to do but tell people, I came to know him, and would you like to know him? Amen? And so we let them know how easy it is that they can have a relationship with God and be holy. Well, let's go back to Islam. You know, to be a Muslim that really would go to heaven, you have to follow, you know, the five tenets of Islam. Here are the five. Some of you know it. Number one, confession. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And you become a Muslim if you can confess that. If you want to be a Muslim, that's the confession. Number two, 
They believe in fasting, the month of Ramadan. I suppose everybody here in Canada is aware of that. There's a lot of publicity, isn't there? Thirdly, they believe in ritual prayers five times a day. And sometimes you've seen them with their mat. They will unroll their mat wherever they may be. be six o'clock in the morning, nine, three, um, six, twelve, three, and six p.m. Five times a day. Ritual prayers. They say the same thing over and over every day. Same thing. And they can go through that ritual. And then finally, they believe in, or rather fourthly, they believe in almsgiving. That you must give to the poor. I'm sure you agree with that. We ought to give to the poor. We ought to pray like them. And we ought to be concerned about fasting. Should we not? For, for your own well-being. Those are good. But here's the fifth one. They believe you must make a pilgrimage to Mecca. At least once in your lifetime. And if these five things are there, you, can, you make a confession about God and, and Muhammad. Two, fasting. Three, prayer. Four, of course, I said, almsgiving and five pilgrimage. And in all of this, you'll have to put the Quran. You have to read the Quran. But this is the way a Muslim would go to heaven. And that their good must outweigh their bad. And they don't believe in a loving God. They don't believe in a personal God like you and I do. They believe that if they do more good than bad, the scales will tip and they will go to heaven. And of course, the heaven they believe in is not the kind of heaven you and I believe in. You know that, don't you? You hear occasionally some of these half-truths. Maybe it's more than that, but at least if you go to heaven, you'll have some divergence. At least the guys, you know, they get a big laugh out of that, I suppose, you know. And you'll get the highest place in, in heaven, and they say all these kinds of things, you know. The concept of heaven is so contrary to the concept of heaven and God in the Bible. Amen? So look, when we take the major religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam, put them together, and stack them against the text, follow holiness, or pursue holiness, Without which, no one will see God. None of these can make a person internally holy. You can be externally. There is practical holiness. We can demonstrate holiness in a practical way. It doesn't follow because you do it, you are actually in your heart holy. Because who can make us holy? Can you tell me? Who alone can make us holy? Only God can. Be holy because I am holy. And so then I ask the question, is religion the answer? And what do we give to that? The answer is no. No human system is the answer. They all fall short. Because the standard of God is what? What is the standard of holiness or who is? The answer is? God is the standard. Amen? And all of these don't stack up. You can do all of these. You will never get to that standard. The measuring rod is too short. For all have sinned and fall or come short of the glory 
of God. And we can do all of these. We still come short, fall short of the glory of God. So the answer is no. Religion is not the answer. It's about all human works. Let me read maybe two verses from Galatians, the third chapter. Galatians chapter 3. Here's what it says in 10 and 11. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. To do how many things? Everything. Can you find anyone within Christianity, outside of Christianity, who continues to do everything that is written? And the answer is no. All right, so it's, it doesn't stop there. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law or by keeping whatever human regulations we can put forward. The Eightfold Path of Buddhism or the Five Tenets of Islam or whatever you can say about Hinduism or any religion, Jainism, you know, or Sikhism, any one of them, put them together. So here's this again. Let me read it over. It simply says, clearly, no one is justified, is made right, is put right with God, before God, by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. How does the righteous live? By faith. You are not righteous. I am not righteous by ourselves. Whatever we do, don't make us righteous. It is only God who makes us righteous. We go back to Matthew 5, 8, where Jesus says, Blessed are the pure, the pure, for they shall see God. It's the pure in heart. So that leads me to the next question then. God's way to be holy. How does God make a person holy? He says, be holy, just as I am. Now, man can't make us holy. No system can make you holy. Only God can. And so, since I'm in the New Testament, a passage that is well known to most of you here, if you're a Nazarene, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, rather, if you want to go to that, 23 and 24. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 and 24. Here's the answer. Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians. They're Christians. If you read chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, what a magnificent group of believers. And here's what he says in the fifth chapter, coming to the close of this letter, verse 23. May God himself, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Who does it? To sanctify means to set apart, to make holy, to make pure. Who does that? God himself. May God himself. It doesn't stop there. 
May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The God who calls us to be holy is faithful. The one who sanctifies our hearts says he will touch your life, transform your heart, mind, he says, your spirit, soul, and body, your, our inner man, our soul, our body, the outer, our soul, next, and our inner man. We are tripartite. God is triune, we are. And God is the one who does it. Now, so you can see, the question is, is holiness your goal? Should we then move from whatever goals you and I have to the highest goal, should we? Does it make sense? Look at the payoff. If we become holy, all the goals we mentioned at the beginning, people want to be healthy and happy, have all the fun, all the fame, all the fortune, all the power, all the possessions, all position, and you can add, all of those are thrown in. That's part of the package deal. Wouldn't you love that? Think of it. God gives us the very best and all in between. You want those. We can go so far. We can see so far, but no farther. But here God wants to lift our vision. And he wants to reveal himself to us as he is doing here. And so, God's way to be holy is God himself. He sanctifies us. He makes us pure. He sets us apart for himself. So we are saved by grace. That's where our holiness begins. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Can you say that? It is the gift of God, not of works. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Look, it's a gift. So God himself begins the work of holiness in us through his grace. We refer to that as God's prevenient grace. The grace of God that comes before to prepare you and me. And then the Holy Spirit continues to prepare you to bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. And he brings us to the place where we come to see how God sees us. And the Holy Spirit gives you faith. Faith is a gift from God as well. And then helps us, you know, to turn away from our sins. That's repentance. And we turn. He gives us the grace to repent. The goodness of God. As God pours out his goodness in you, he is bringing you to repentance. The goodness of God leads us or brings us to repentance. And so we turn to him and we, we confess him. In the Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's how a person is saved. So we are born again, John 3, 3. You must be born again. So it is the work of God. Amen?
God himself. So, think of how special you are to God. So we are saved by grace, and we are sanctified by grace. It is by faith, it is by God's grace through faith we are saved. And the same thing happens. And there's a familiar passage I think a lot of you are familiar with. So I'll take you to Acts chapter 15. If you would like to check that out and mark it off if you haven't done as so far, you can do this. Acts chapter 15, I'd like to read verses 8 and 9. And this refers to what happened on the day of Pentecost when the 120 were cleansed and filled by the Holy Spirit. And it happened in Acts chapter 10 in the home of Cornelius where the Gentiles were saved, cleansed, and filled with the Holy Spirit. So what happened to the Jewish believers in Acts chapter 2 happened to the Gentile believers in Acts chapter 10. And so this is God's answer, God's answer for all people, all Jews and all Gentiles. Here's what it says, and Peter sums it up. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them, meaning the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them. It's a gift. Just as he did to us, the Jews. He made no distinction between us, Peter speaking, Jews, and them, Gentiles. For what did he do? For he purified their hearts by faith. What did he do? Purify their hearts. How are we made holy? We are made holy by God. He purifies our heart by faith. Amen? So when God says, be holy, he himself is the one who does the surgery. Amen? He circumcises the heart. So we are saved by grace. We are sanctified by grace. Saved by grace through faith. Sanctified by grace through faith. It's all the work of God. So, as I conclude then, I ask you today, is holiness your goal? If it is not, I hope you don't leave with any misconceptions. The text says, we are to follow holiness or pursue holiness or make every effort to be holy because without holiness no one will see God. No one will see God. The pure in heart will see God. And Job knew that experience. Job in all his sufferings, you know, he said that one day I shall see him with my own eyes. And not another. I myself will see him. And John the apostle, the beloved disciple, the one who loved the Lord. Here is how John put it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says, dear friends, dear friends. Now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, when Christ returns the second time, 
we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is amen it's all of God's love it begins here how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God children of God so not everybody is a child of God. Everybody is a creation of God. Those of us who have come to know Jesus personally, we become children of God. And John reminds us that we shall see him with our own eyes. We shall be like him, and we shall see him. And where he is, there we shall be also. Would you like that? Can anybody beat that? Look, it's all free. So ladies and gentlemen, young people, let me say to everyone here, whatever goal you are pursuing, it is still a human goal if it doesn't match this goal. Be holy because I am holy. And without holiness, no one, no one, will see the Lord. And you can. And you must. If you want to go to eternity, you have to have a ticket. Einstein had a ticket that was traveling from Princeton to the next destination. You and I are on a journey. And you're offered a free ticket. Amen? Amen. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Will you accept him? As many as received him, to them he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. How much he loves us. He died for us. He rose from the dead. And he offers all of this and more. I had that experience. I was a pastor for about three years, but I was not sanctified wholly. I was not cleansed in my heart. I was preaching and teaching it. And like many in Guyana, that's in Guyana, South America used to be British Guyana, British colony. You know, we were trying to find this experience of being cleansed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And people went from one group to the next. The Pentecostals were saying, well, you've got to tarry and tarry and tarry and wait until you begin to speak in tongues. Then you have the experience. Well, we went to a lot of those tarry meetings. Nothing happened. We went to other meetings. They told us different things than we did. And that was a search. God knew my heart. I was hungry. I was hungry, you know, and that's what Jesus said. One of the conditions, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be or shall be filled. So I was hungry. I knew the Lord. I was hungry. I really needed the power of the Holy Spirit, the control of the Holy Spirit, you know, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the cleansing of my heart. And then simply looking again at the word. I was tired going from one group to the next. And then I simply came to some of the texts and I simply 
surrendered my body to the Lord. I said, Lord, I am all yours. My body is yours. My soul is yours. My spirit is yours. My family is yours. My future is yours. Do whatever you desire to do in and through me. Now here am I. I'm a candidate for you to cleanse and fill me. And by faith, I asked the Lord to come and cleanse me and fill me. I didn't see any stars. <laughs> I didn't speak in any tongues. But I had a strong conviction in my heart that God met that need. I had a witness of God's Spirit within me. The very Holy Spirit who witnessed to me that I was saved, Romans 8.16, you can read that. The Holy Spirit bore witness to me I belonged to Him. I had a passion to win people to Christ after that. You know, and ever since, I still have a passion. On the ship that we were on, I thank the Lord for the privilege. You know, at least 12 people I ministered to. You know, I took some tracks. You know, I, I always take tracks when we're going on cruises because we meet so many people and talk with them and share with them and pass out the track. I had this one, you know, how to know God. And so... I went through that with several of the people, you know, and they were all interested. Nobody said no. And told them how easy it is to have an experience with the living God. It's by faith. Amen? I want to say to you, if you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, there is no better time than now. Amen? You're a Christian? Why continue to live a powerless Christian life? A life with passion for God. It can happen today. You can say, Lord, I long to be made holy. Can you come, Lord? Will you come? Here am I. I give myself to you. I admit my need. Please come and cleanse my heart and fill me. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. God bless you. And over to Pastor Altar. Praise God. Thank you.